Welcome, everyone, to the Monday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. And a reminder, whatever major podcasting platform you are listening to us on, leave us a nice review. It would help us out. That's really all it does. So we would appreciate it. All right, we got a lot to get to. A lot of great articles are being written about housing right now. And I think it's mostly because housing seems kind of crazy, but it's really because the economy is so crazy right now that people think that, you know, housing and everything as a part of the economy are also weird. And sure, I guess housing can look weird to some extent, but really we all know what's happening with housing. Housing is a very basic situation. It is a supply issue. You have too much demand, not enough supply. That's why prices are skyrocketing. And I think because it's such a simple explanation, people don't buy it. They're like, no, 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 there's something out now. Yeah, you got the Fed involved. And of course, you got the Fed and interest rates and you know mortgage rates being lower. That's no doubt playing a part. I mean, there, there's no doubt, like I said, there are parts of the economy that are impacting housing. But housing, for the most part, the craziness that we're seeing with prices and these bidding wars, it's supply and demand. But I think because it's so simple, people are like, no, nah, it's got to be more complicated than that. And so there was a story that happened recently or got reported about BlackRock, you know, big, giant investment firm. And it's not just BlackRock. Other investment firms are doing the same thing. Hedge funds, kind of everyone's looking at housing going, man, look how much money is being made in housing right now. So, yeah, a lot of investment firms are getting involved in housing. And so the, the news came out that BlackRock and others, other investment firms, had bought about 15% of U.S. homes that were for sale in the first quarter of the year. And everyone, of course, jumped on this. And they were like, oh, look, see, look, this is what's happening. Look, prices are skyrocketing. The only people that can afford housing are big hedge funds and investment firms, and they're pricing regular people out of the market. And it's evil, and Wall Street's evil and horrible, and something needs to be done about this. It's a nice narrative. I mean, obviously, it's something that's going to get a lot of headlines and sell uh, clicks and, and, and everything else that everyone's looking for, but that's not really what's happening. And there was a great piece by Derek Thompson over at The Atlantic, and he explained what is happening, what, what's really going on with this story. And he says, and, and this isn't the piece that, like I said, he wrote for The Atlantic, and of course, obviously, all of these uh, articles, links, and everything else are in the companion newsletter that you can sign up for at marketsandmortgages.com. So first off, you need to understand something. BlackRock is not competing with families. They are competing with other investors. Thompson writes that, quote, institutional investors tend to buy homes that need significant repairs. That means they're often competing with other investors, individuals who buy houses to rent them out as a side gig or a main gig, not with typical young couples who are looking to a, or looking for a turnkey and walk into a finished house. I mean, sure, there are people out there who like fixer-upper projects, and you can buy a home for cheaper and fix it up yourself, and there are people that like that, but the overwhelming majority of people who buy a home want to buy a home they can just walk into and not have any problems, and that's not what a lot of these investment firms are looking for. They are looking for investment homes that they can buy and make money on in a home that's perfect, ready to move into. Not a lot of money to be made. You might say, oh, well, Tyler, there's people that are looking to rent, and I get that, but that's not really what the majority of, the, of these investments are looking for. And so Thompson says, because of that fact, 
if we were to block institutional investors, it wouldn't change much. If institutional investors were blocked from buying homes, other investors would fill in the gaps, not single family buyers. Thompson writes that millions of mom and pop investors would still be out there buying millions of single family homes and renting them out to millions of people. The overall texture of the U.S. housing market would remain the same. So who is the bad guy? Who is the person that we should be looking to? And it's always the same answer. NIMBYs, the not in my backyard people. Thompson writes, quote, far worse than corporations taking a few thousand units off the market for owners are the governments and noisy NIMBYish residents taking millions of units off the market. Many of the people tweeting about BlackRock are represented by city councils and state governments or are surrounded by zoning laws and local ordinances that make home construction something between onerous and impossible. This is always the villain. You know, it's people like Robert Reich, former, what was he, labor secretary? I think that's what he was. I always want to say commerce, but that, that's like too big of a position. He was like the labor secretary. This is someone who always talks about evil corporations and Wall Street and the rich. And this is someone who, of course, makes hundreds of thousands of dollars teaching like one class a year and gives big speeches and makes a ton of money doing that. Well, it came out that he lives in a neighborhood and they were looking to build and he was trying to stop these multifamily units from being built. You know, mister, we got to help the poor. We got to help the middle class. We got to make more affordable housing. Somebody says, okay, we're going to build more affordable housing near you. And he goes, no, not near me. I mean, near other people, other people backyard, not my backyard. <laughs> so Thompson says, and like I said, it's been noted dozens of times and we will note it probably a hundred times more. The housing problem is a supply side issue. A lot of people want to buy homes and unfortunately there just aren't enough homes to buy. Thompson concludes his piece with an important point saying, if we can't see the culprit of America's housing crisis, that's because we're eager to look everywhere except in the mirror. And he does also make a really interesting point where he says, listen, Wall Street is always a villain. And landlords suck. And he's like, so this idea that there's corporate landlords is like the perfect Hollywood villain. But that's not really the scenario. BlackRock is not even close to being the problem. The funny thing is, is that it's not giant hedge funds that are stopping people from being able to afford homes. It's people like Robert Reich. <laughs> like, how ironic is that? It's not Wall Street. It's Robert Reich. He's the one's who are making it difficult for people to buy homes. But hopefully that will be a thing of the past. And what we're seeing is people starting to get creative with ways to build affordable housing. And I saw two interesting pieces over the weekend on this very topic. So the News and Observer, of course, here I am in North Carolina. The News and Observer is the uh, big Raleigh paper. And they had a very interesting piece about how COVID, the COVID pandemic had shut down a bunch of AMC movie theaters. And so a developer had an idea. Hey, why don't we turn these into apartments? Raleigh-based Dominion Realty Partners is set to demolish the theater, that's the AMC theater, and build a 264-unit apartment complex over it 
and the surrounding parking lot. That is one of the benefits of these old movie theaters. They have huge, giant parking lots. And so that's perfect if you need, you know, we've talked about parking and the necessary for multifamily units to have enough parking spaces. And so that definitely helps with that situation. So the developer plans to build 174 one bedrooms and 90 two bedroom units, totaling about 200 or 236,000 square feet across five three-story apartment buildings and a clubhouse. Boom. That's what I like to see. That's great. That's awesome. So you're going to take a closed down, unnecessary building, and now you're going to provide housing for 264. Well, actually, yeah, 264 people. Pretty good. I would, no, actually more than that, right? Yeah, 174, one bedroom and 92 bedrooms. So let's see if I do the math. Yeah, that's, what is that? That's 350. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's 350 people that are now going to have an option to live there. That's going to help with rents, housing affordability, all of that. Now, North Carolina is not alone in this endeavor. In fact, the Wall Street Journal reports that in New York, a recently passed bill will allow New York State to spend $100 million to convert distressed commercial properties into affordable housing. The journal says, quote, under the terms, eligible properties would be owned and managed by nonprofit landlords. The legislation requires that the apartments remain permanently affordable to people making no more than 80% of the area median income. Now, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this idea because whenever government tries to create affordable housing, really all they end up doing is helping a small amount of people at the expense of everybody else. And this has been proven time and time again. We've talked about this recently on a podcast where affordable housing never does what they think it's going to do. And really what's the best thing to do is just encourage developers, encourage development. And we'll all benefit, even if they're building super crazy expensive high rises that the average person won't even be able to walk into the lobby of. We will still all benefit because more housing creates more opportunities and lowers the overall price. Supply and demand. It's, it's that simple. Even if that supply is not available to the average person, it will trickle down. Oh, I know, trickle down economics doesn't work. Maybe not, but trickle down rents do. <laughs> 100% this has been proven in study after study that what ends up happening is you build a luxury building, the nicest one, and what happens is, is the building that was the nicest one before has to lower its prices because it can't compete. The amenities can't compete. And then that happens all the way down the line. And so everyone's rent drops a little bit, even when you're building super crazy expensive places. So I'm not 100% supportive of this because there's going to be issues. But hey, I'm for building however it happens. That's how you get us out of this situation. So it's nice to see developers getting a little creative. Always a good thing. Now, before we wrap things up, I do want to talk about a piece in the Wall Street Journal by Nicole Friedman and Ben Eisen, who are talking about down payments. Now, normally down payments are really about, you know, what you can afford, what you're comfortable with, personal preference, what kind of loan you're getting. And that kind of determines what your down payment's going to be. And normally it doesn't matter that much. In a normal housing market, it just, it, like I said, it, it really comes down to the buyer. You may want to spend more to lower your overall payment. Maybe you can only afford so much. Well, right now, down payments matter 
unfortunately, and that means a lot of, and I say unfortunately, because people that cannot afford the typical 20% can find difficulty buying a home. There's no doubt about that. In fact, 20% really has become the floor. According to the National Association of Realtors, half of existing home buyers put 20% down in April. And in 10 years of record keeping, that percentage has hit or exceeded 50% three times, and they have all been since last fall. So people are putting 20% down at a rate that we've really only seen recently. And it's not hard to figure out why. It's a seller's market. And cash buyers have an advantage because they don't have to secure a mortgage, which usually means the transaction can happen a lot faster. And sellers sometimes worry that offers with smaller down payments are likelier to fall through during the loan closing process. Some agents are making that argument. And I'll tell you, as someone who sold their home recently, there's no doubt that when I was evaluating offers, if someone came to me and they were 100% financing or, you know, versus say a cash buyer, I mean, it really wasn't that difficult um, of a decision. I mean, you do get worried because one, if someone is doing, you know, 100% financing, if they're doing a VA, if they're taking advantage of some program that their bank offers or credit union offers, or if they're only putting, you know, the FHA, they're putting three and a half percent down. Yeah, you could think that, well, you know, there's a lot that could go wrong. You know, what if they, you know, end up not being able to make that payment? I mean, that is one of the concerns that they point out in this article is that what happens if the appraisal comes in at a higher amount? Someone that can put that money down and say, oh, no, no, no problem. I'm gonna put 20% down. Regardless of what that appraisal comes in, you're gonna go, I like that buyer. Someone that's like, I only have, you know, 15 grand or 10 grand to put down. And if that appraisal comes in at, um, you know, not high enough and you have to cover that versus what the selling price is. Yeah. Um, the deal could end up falling through. And so if you're a seller, you're like, yeah, I want someone to be putting more money down. So it's unfortunate because there are families that are getting left behind. But once again, what's the solution to this build baby build. All right. I do want to let you know that once again, if you don't get the email, make sure you sign up at mark, uh, marketsandmortgages.com. Yes, I do know the name of my podcast and email, Markets and Mortgages, because there's some great, great, in case you missed it, articles today. One of them talking, there was a piece by, is it Kyle Smith? I think at Bloomberg, in which he argues that we're becoming a nation of renters. And maybe that's a good thing. Now, as someone who's in the mortgage business, no, <laughs> that's not a good thing. But it's an interesting point that he makes. It's, it's an interesting point. And so you can uh, read that in today's newsletter out this morning. You guys enjoy your Monday. Try and you know be careful if you're somewhere where this tropical storm is hitting. I will talk to you on Tuesday, assuming we do not lose power here in southeastern North Carolina. And remember, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.